Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. So how about the rest of you? Are you growing or withering? Is it possible to do both at the same time? In my garden, it doesn't seem to be so. Um, I had these uh, one pot there that it's some late plants. I planted a lot later, and, and they're still growing, but most of it isn't. Um, and you know, for us humans, it doesn't seem like it's possible to be growing and thriving or, or uh, withering at the same time either. Um, I've heard it said, and I'm not sure if this is accurate, but that we kind of reach our peak at about 25 years old, and, and after that, then it's a gradual decline. Uh, kind of depressing for most of us here, isn't it? Well, the Bible tells us that physically, all of us are human flesh, and we are like grass, withering and fading. Uh, all flesh is temporary. Uh, we're like the garden plants. I've, I've noticed, uh, for instance, my summer squash will only grow and thrive physically so long, and I'm still watering it, and it's still withering. Um, like some of them... Um, like, you know, as you look in your garden, some of the plants will last longer than others. But when it's 20 below, they're all going to be gone. And so will we within 100 years. However, spiritually, we can be alive and we can be growing all the way to heaven. We're going to look at some verses in 1 Peter chapter 1 and 2 today. And these verses address two things relating to spiritual growth. Love of the brethren and a desire for the word. I invite you to look with me then at, at uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, begins verse 22, and, and please stand in reverence to God's word. <clears throat> Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of the grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. And so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow up into salvation." If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Let us pray. Lord God, we just thank you for your word today. And we pray that as we meditate on these verses, you would help us to see uh, how it is that you work within our hearts uh, and, and help us to grow in our faith relationship with you. Uh, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> Remember, uh, Peter is writing to Christians that have been scattered due to intense persecution, scattered to uh, various regions of what's present day the nation Turkey. Christians who have, in, in many cases, then fled for their lives, left behind a lot of their earthly possessions and the things that were familiar. 
and they are uprooted. And they're, they're trying to adjust to new surroundings and doing so, and they're li- trying to learn how to live without some things. And they're very possibly, they are living in fear as well. Early, earlier in chapter 1, Peter then has encouraged them, reminding them all of this is temporary in light of the internal inheritance that's reserved for them in heaven. Pastor Ryan mentioned last week how Peter is exhorting them also then to live holy lives where they're at and not give in to their old nature, not revert back to old patterns of life before they were Christians and not conform to the ungodly lifestyles of those living around them. Now, in the rather long run-on sentences here in our text today, it might be a challenge to spot this, but Peter goes on there to make two main statements. There are two imperative verbs here, two commands to those displaced Christians. And those imperatives are every bit as relevant to us who are Christians today, living as aliens in post-Christian America. So two imperatives for the growing Christian, love one another another earnestly and long for the pure milk of the word. And these are not mere suggestions or, or good ideas, but necessary actions in the life of all Christians. And so let's look at those two things today. First of all, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. This is about, then, love for fellow Christians. New American Standard puts it this way, a sincere love of the brethren. That's a, that's a word that describes in both brothers and sisters in Christ. We Christians are to consider each other family. Verse 22 here, he says, fervently love one another. Gene Getz uh, says that apost- the Apostle Paul, in his letters, um, about 40 times uses those, that terminology, one another, as he instructs Christians in res- our responsibilities to each other. The Apostle John also makes a significant theme in his writings of telling believers in Jesus Christ the importance of loving one another, and he even says that if we don't, then we don't love God either. Jesus himself said, By this will all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love for one another. And so this is important stuff. How we treat each other reflects on the one that we Christians claim to follow. And if we treat each other badly, it gives folks outside the church reason to not come in and to not listen to our message. Peter describes this love we're to have for each other as the sincere love of the brethren. And the Greek word for love here in this text is is agape, which is that unconditional love that God has for us. It's a love no matter what we do. We Christians are to show loving actions toward each other, no matter how quirky or how annoying we might find one of us. We we are to, in love, then help each other in our needs. We, We are to seek to build each other up as we encounter the various trials and challenges of life. And I have to say, I am very thankful to serve a church where I often see that kind of love demonstrated among us here. And yet there is always still room for growth in this area. Peter reminds us here, fervently love one another from the heart. And this is to be then that sincere agape or unconditional love. And we demonstrate that unconditional love for each other then by also putting away some things he mentions here. There are some things that may have been part of how we would treat other people in the past that we are to put away. 
For instance, malice, which is meanness or, or ill will toward fellow Christians. Deceit, or craft or cunning, intent to deceive or mislead others. And the original meaning of this word is describing a bait for fish. And you who are fishermen know you don't put bait on your line without a hook. Why is that? Well, you're deliberately intending to deceive those fish. He's saying here, don't do that with any of the brethren. Don't deliberately intend to deceive. And then he says, put away hypocrisy or pretense. Don't claim to have moral standards or beliefs and then not behave accordingly. This too hurts in our relationships and also brings down the name of Christ. Put away envy, he says. That's ill will that's stirred up at the sight of good fortune of others. And put away slander, uh, speaking against others that runs them down. And so brothers and sisters in Christ, how are you doing in these five? Are you feeling malice toward any fellow believers? Are you purposely deceiving any of them? Are you being hypocritical in some areas of your life? Do you see a brother or sister that has more than you do, or, or nicer things or situations than you do, and, and maybe kind of wish that they'd get humbled in some way? Is there a fellow Christian that gets under your skin and that you slip into gossiping about or slandering to others, wanting to bring them down a notch in the eyes of others? Fervently love one another from the heart, Peter reminds us. Well, how is that even possible? Peter must not know some of the people we know, right? It's possible only because of hearts that have been purified by the truth of salvation in Jesus Christ. The truth that reminds us that we are all sinners who continue to fall short of the glory of God and we are saved only by God's grace and mercy that is shown to us in Jesus. And he is the one then who is the way, the truth, and the life. And as we grasp how we have been forgiven then over and over again by God, we are called to also love and forgive each other. 1 John 1, 7 says it this way, If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanses us from all sin. Something happens in the hearts and the lives of each one who becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. There's a heart change that takes place, and we are born again. And Peter says here we're born again of a special seed, an imperishable seed. Now, we all can think about what perishable seed is like. I, I plant seeds in my garden. They're perishable. Sometimes I hang on to seeds for years in, in a package and, and then try planting them. And sometimes they grow, sometimes they don't. Even if they do grow, though, those plants will eventually die. They're perishable. That's also true of human seed, which I believe is what Peter is referencing here. Our human bodies are perishable. They're born, they live a few years, and then they die. And the older I get, the more disturbing I find it, how fast those years go by. And before we know it, it becomes our turn in the cemetery. That's what Peter's describing here in verse 24 and 25 as he quotes from Isaiah chapter 40, and he says, For all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the, the flower falls. But he goes on to say something here. But he says, is there something that doesn't fade, fade away? Something that is imperishable. And that is, the word of God remains forever. And then he says, this is the word of the good news that was preached to you. You see, this imperishable seed in verse 23 here, 
It's a divine seed. It's the living and abiding word of God. Hebrews chapter 4 describes the Bible as a book that's alive. The Holy Spirit of God is living in it, and as a result, God's word is able to make dead souls come alive. And that is what he does as we then proclaim God's word to others, and as we together work to spread uh, that message across the globe, he gives spiritual life to people. Well, Peter's second imperative here for growing Christians is this. He says, long for the pure milk of the word. Long for God's word like a newborn baby for milk. And that imperative verb translated long for means to intensely desire. Have you observed a newborn baby? You know, those first few months, moms don't get a lot of good sleep because they want to eat all the time. They, they can't yet eat solid food and, and their stomachs aren't very big and so they get hung, hungry, it seems like, every couple hours. And, and they let you know when they're hungry. And, and when mom picks them up, they get excited and they nuzzle in just looking for that next meal of more milk. And, and they get a taste, you see. And they, and they feed for a while and they're satisfied until a couple hours later they're hungry all over again. Peter is saying to fellow Christians here, scattered about, be like those nursing babes, hunger after the word of God. That living word that made you spiritually alive when it brought you to faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior is also what will, will sustain your spiritual life. And so continue to long after it. Long for more of it. Long for it, he says, because you have tasted that the Lord is good. Think of how babies uh, long for mother's milk because they got a taste of how good it is. So they want more. You've gotten a taste of the goodness of God when through his word you found forgiveness of your sins in Jesus Christ. Well, there is much more of the goodness of God to be found in his word. But you have to keep feeding on it. So are you regularly doing so in your life? Or do you not yet grasp the significance of this here? Peter uses a couple of key words here to describe God's word. He says that this word that we are to long after is living. It's alive. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as a division of soul and spirit, both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our heart. There's no other book I know of that has such power. You see, the Holy Spirit who inspired the writers of the Bible still speaks through it, convicting of sin and pointing us to our Savior, Jesus Christ. In the Lutheran Church, we speak of the Bible as the primary means of grace. And I love this quote from Martin Anderson. It's in our adult class manual we use when we go through new members class. He says this, The Word of God as found in the Bible is not only a book of history and instructions. The Word does more than merely give us certain directions regarding what we should believe and do. The word is a means of grace. That is, it brings to us and it bestows upon us the grace of God concerning what it teaches. The Holy Spirit is present in and with the word, giving it divine power and making it a vessel or channel that brings the grace of God, faith, forgiveness of sin, eternal life, and spiritual power to man. And then he says this, the word both imparts life and it nourishes the new life. We all need physical nourishment in our daily lives. So also, we cannot survive long spiritually without the nourishment that comes from God's word. 
It's what sustains our spiritual life. There's another word that Peter uses to describe God's word here. He says it is abiding or remaining, enduring. It's eternal. And it's fascinating to consider how long this amazing book has lasted. I was looking up on my shelf here and, and brought down this book here. I had to see. This is a Bible somebody gave me long ago. Um, I had to check in the front. It was printed back in 1866, which means it's 157 years old. Printed before my great-grandpa Thor immigrated from Norway. But that's just a fraction of how long the Bible has been around. It's been complete for almost 2,000 years. The Old Testament goes back over another 1,000 years before that. And you know, over the centuries, there have been those who have set out to wipe out the record of God's word. Jeremiah 36 tells us about, for instance, the wicked king Jehoiakim, when, when he had God's word on a scroll read to him, and he didn't like some of what was said there, he, he would tear off a section and throw it in the fire. Have some more read, throw that in until the whole scroll was burned up. But the word of God came to the prophet Jeremiah all over again, and he wrote it down again. There were times when, when there were followers of the Jewish faith that hand-copied parts of the Old Testament, and they hid it away in caves, preserving it for centuries, only to be found in the 1940s and 50s, in what was, has become known as the Dead Sea Scrolls. Some of the oldest biblical manuscripts in the world, um, and they were found to match about exactly what was preserved in other ways. There were Roman emperors in the early centuries A.D. who severely persecuted Christians, but the Christian church just seemed to continue to grow. In 303 A.D., Roman Emperor Diocletian made an edict, and he prohibited Christians from assembling for worship, and he ordered the burning of their scriptures and their liturgical books and their places of worship all across his empire. But God's word survived. In the centuries following, there have been many who have sought to discredit the Bible. There have been those who have once followed it and taught it, who gradually then drifted far from its message of salvation found only in Jesus Christ. There are whole so-called Christian denominations in attempts to be more culturally relevant who have watered down its message so much that they just hang on to a few verses here and there as God's word and say the rest was man-made. But God continues to raise up out of the ashes new congregations that stand on the whole Bible as God's inspired and inerrant word. In our association of free Lutheran congregations, we have several congregations that were formed and that adopted their congregational name from this verse. Chapter 1, verse 25 here. Congregations that had named themselves in living word or abiding word because of this scripture reminder. You know, everything that you and I have, all of our other earthly possessions will pass away, but not our Bible. We might lose or wear out the one we have, but there'll be more available. It is the living and abiding word of God. And, and Peter says, long after this word, intensely desire it. Why? because we need it in order to grow. Which means if we don't feed on it, we're only hurting ourselves and putting our spiritual lives in jeopardy. Lenski says it this way, to cease longing for this divine milk is the most serious sign of spiritual decline, which soon ends in spiritual death. A starved babe pales and dies. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you might grow 
into salvation. Another translation says that by it might grow unto salvation. What does that mean, to be growing unto salvation? I've sometimes heard it said that if you're not growing as a Christian, you're falling away and and you're dying. And and, uh, there's an element of truth to that, but I think it's possible to get too worried and and too introspective where, where we're constantly then analyzing if we're growing or not spiritually and based on how we feel or what we see in our hearts and lives. And you know, if, if we honestly look there very long, we're going to get quite discouraged. Spiritual growth is not so much a steady progression to some plateau on this earth where we arrive at full-grown, mature adults, but rather it is a continual need that we have to be nourished, lest our faith wither and die and we not reach heaven. So what will nourish our spiritual lives and bring growth? It's the milk of the Word of God. What will hinder such growth? Lack of that milk. So are you and I in the word? How so? Do you open your Bible by yourself? Do you actively engage in it when it is preached? Do you interact with others around it? Do you even want to? Those are some questions I think we need to ask ourselves. And, and then take action steps in response. Peter's two imperatives here for growing Christians are love one another earnestly from the heart and long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you might be nourished. You might grow until you see your salvation complete when you're in the presence of your Savior in heaven. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, we thank you for Peter's word here as we think of those he wrote to who were going through real challenging times, you told them the importance of loving and supporting each other as to go through the trials of life. And you also told them the importance of feeding on your word. And Lord, those things are still true today. Help us that we would recognize the value of the fellowship of believers and we would would be a part of encouraging each other. And Lord, that you would keep us from tearing each other down. May we, by our love for each other, be a light in this community, we pray. And then, Lord, we pray also that you would help us to see the significance of, of your word in our, in our daily lives. And, and, Lord, that we would hunger after it. We would want to learn more. We would want to feed on it in order that we would grow in our walk with you. And, uh, Lord, that, that you would keep us strong in the faith. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.